This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with NFL Hall of Fame All-Pro kicker Nick Lowry. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. In this episode, Nick Lowry, my friend, my hero, a true mentor, Hall of Fame NFL kicker, Dartmouth graduate, Harvard graduate, sports commentator, speaker, author, philanthropist, and one of the most respected retired professional athletes in the world, who's a champion not just on the field, but what he has done to turn his life into significance since his retirement playing 18 seasons in the NFL. He shares his life and climbed to the top of his profession as a seven-time All-Pro superstar for the Kansas City Chiefs and the most accurate kicker of all time who kicked the second most field goals in NFL history, giving us an inside glimpse into mindset of one of the most high-stress, high-stress anxiety field jobs in the entire world think about it a kicker is only brought into a game under the most competitive stressful high pressure situations and he did it for 18 years presenting a formula to align and explode your way to confidence and extreme success under pressure hi welcome to power players with dan clark Today is an episode that you're going to want to listen to, re-listen to, re-listen to, and then share it with all of your friends, especially if you're a sports fan and you understand the significance of teamwork, not just team building. My guest is um, an amazing human being, Dominic. Dominic, Dominic Lowry. That's right. Goes by Nick Lowry. He played in the NFL as a kicker for 18 seasons, 14 of which were with the Kansas City Chiefs. He's in the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame. And currently, as at least of 2018, there's not been a better kicker on the planet as far as number of points scored. Total in his 18-year career, Nick Lowry has scored 1,711 points, 80% field goal percentage made, his longest field goal, 58 yards, if you think about that one. And he has kicked more field goals than any other player in NFL history. Let me amend that. That was when I retired because Morton Anderson would have something to say with that who played 26 seasons, and he was pretty darn good too. But proud to say that when I retired, I had the most 50-yarders, most field goals, and best percentage. And field goals are uh, – records are made to be broken, but I'm proud of that and appreciate you saying that. Appreciate that. And – what I want to do is just kind of give a couple more statistics so we can get to the heart and soul of Nick Lowry, the man behind number eight for the Chiefs. He also played for the Patriots, which is a cool story, Un- <clears throat> undrafted in 1978. And we'll have him share the details of how he literally walked on for the New England Patriots, played for the Jets, and then his 14 very profitable and, and, and amazing years for the, for the Chiefs, and I'm a huge Chiefs fan. Smart man. The thing that I want you to know <clears throat> most about Nick, which we'll get to before this episode is, o- episode is over, is the heart of a champion. That when you see uh, an elite athlete like Nick, 
you see more than muscle and bone going through motion. You see heart, you see desire, but in his mind, it's service before self. So I want to go right to the heart and soul of a, of a kicker because for some reason you make your money as an expert in performing under pressure. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to that in a moment. He does have Utah ties. I do. As a University of Utah alumni, his dad attended the University of Utah. Graduated in 1938, went to East High School. Yeah, baby, go Leopards. And his aunt, his aunt was Utah Citizen of the Year. She was born with cerebral palsy. What another great inspiration in your life. She was, uh, she got her college degree. She taught herself how to type, even though she had spasticization. And uh, just an incredible human being. She was a librarian for the University of Utah, and she was a professional writer. And uh, that was a, the first foray into uh, philanthropy for me, just trying to find balance in my life, playing for the Chiefs. And to honor her just seemed to be the best way to, to say thank you, God, for giving me a chance to make it here and keep me humble, you know, in the midst of complaining about a hole in your socks or something stupid like that when a kid with cerebral palsy has a victory like, learning how to tie their shoe when they're 12 years old kind of helps remind you that life isn't that bad. Absolutely. So Nick Lowry, born in Munich, Germany. <clears throat> His dad was a superstar, World War II pilot and, and, and real-life hero. And he attended Dartmouth University, so he actually do, does have some brains behind that football helmet. I got them all full. Yeah. And he graduated from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, so that's why he understands service before self and and leaving everybody around him saying, I like me best when I'm with you. I want to see you again. You're one of my heroes, Thank bro. You, Thanks brother. for being on the show. I have never met anybody that I <laughs> found last night. We have so many things in common. I will say, I will start off with this, that um, one of the great tragedies in American history was the trio of assassinations of John F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, and Martin Luther King. And I feel... Uh, humbly, but uh, just that I have an obligation to carry that torch, um, and hopefully others as well. Uh, the f most famous line, arguably in the history of inaugura inauguration speeches by presidents was, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And to turn that on its, on its side and remind ourselves we can always help people. And by the way, the only reason he says these good things about me is because he's... Um, a very giving human being, too, and knows that that's important. So thank yeah. you. And I'll just kind of tag on to uh, President Kennedy's famous line that you quoted. My mentor is Zig Ziglar, motivational yes. teacher extraordinaire. He reminds us all that you can get anything in this life that you want if you're willing to help enough other people get what they want. And since we've become like instantaneous connected at the hip bros, you have validated that wealth flows through you, not to you. Beautiful. You are such Beautiful. a philanthropic soul. So we're going to get to that, but let's just get back to the football career. I'm I'm intrigued by the story in 1978. You've been kicking for Dartmouth. You know you can do it. And take us back to the experience of you thinking or believing that you should be or you will be drafted. It does not happen. And then what happens? And take us all the way up until you are finally given the opportunity to go out on a field and kick an NFL ball. Well, you know, it's it's definitely something that we, um, many kids, dream of, right, to be a professional athlete. Um, and my junior year, I was the only kicker 
maybe ever to have no missed extra points or field goals. So I knew I had that potential to go an entire season without moving, missing. But uh, my senior year, I think I got too much in my head and didn't have that great a year. And I was uh, called by after the draft by uh, the Cleveland Browns, and they had someone come up to uh, try to convince me to, to be an apprentice to Don Cockroft, who uh, you probably haven't heard of, but he was the first kicker and punter to be pretty good at both, maybe the only one. And, uh, and then the Jets, and I just thought, okay, I'll go to New York. And um, that process, as a kicker, back then, you could kick off the tee in college, but you could not do that in the pros. You had to kick off the ground, so you had to adjust. And then the pressure, oh, my gosh, the pressure's so different. It's, you know, you have most people, if you miss a field goal in college, they're not going to hang you. <laughs> but uh, in the pros, it's very different. I just knew that it was going to take time to get used to that. It's 1.25 seconds snapped the ball snapped back eight yards caught spun and you're actually looking at the ball not spinning to kick it for one tenth of a second as you're moving towards it so um i think part of that narrative was holy toledo it's going to take a while to get used to this but i i think i want to try so at six four you obviously had the leg strength and you had the confidence knowing that you had done it before you can continually and currently do it but you didn't get drafted so what did you do about it so i you know i'm in training camp with the with the jets and i'm going against pat Leahy and uh walt michaels and the and the coaches said uh we're playing in san diego off the baseball infield there and i missed badly two field goal attempts off the uh infield when uh basically it was my job to lose and I lost it. And another reference for me was when you were going after your dreams, I think there's a part of you that's saying, what happens if I fail? It's, is it the end of my dream? And uh, so that's what I thought. I remember <laughs> flying home going, well, I guess that's the end of it. And a couple days later, literally a voice saying, you're just getting started. How can you get used to this if you don't keep putting yourself out there? And uh, I really believe while there are so many self-help people saying, in one month, you can turn around your life. And there's truth to that. Truly, for me, it was two years. And the person that I was with at the beginning, who was scared, you know what, I can't use the word I'd like to use, uh, when I started, was able to have the confidence to know that I had paid my dues and I could beat out a guy named Jan Stenerud, wow. the greatest kicker in the history of the NFL at that point, who played six more years. So it was in the middle of his career um, just because I, I was ready then. And for those of you that think, oh, I'm never going to make it, give me a call in two years. If you keep working at it, it's amazing what place you can find yourself in. Okay, so you go to the Jets <clears throat> and you get cut. They basically say, hey, thanks for showing up. Here's a hot dog and a, and a ticket home, and you leave. Did you have to pay your own way to the Jets, or did they actually pick up the tab? Oh, no, they flew me in. I was, I was, I know I signed with them. Uh, but nobody gave me any money. It was just the chance as an Ivy League player to, to make it. And uh, I was a skinny kid, and I had a strong leg. But what was interesting was I really did get stronger. And tryouts with <laughs> the Patriots uh, a month later, uh, I just showed up on the doorstep at Sullivan Stadium in Foxborough because their kicker, John Smith, was injured. And I just knocked on the door in the fading light, and the parking lot was emptying. And I told the receptionist, who was like, who's this guy? Um, 
I think I'm better than the kicker you guys uh, have brought in because their <laughs> kicker was hurt and kind of arrogant. But, you know, you got to be that way. you got to have some confidence in yourself. And uh, Chuck Fairbanks stuck his head in, and I said the same thing to him. He said, we'll take a look at you. And he walked down there. I got on my shoes and my outfit down in the locker room with a big red carpet in the Patriots locker room. With your bag of footballs. With my over. bag of footballs. Like Santa Claus, and they hoped you were. Yeah. St. Nick. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and I was 17 for 17 back to 53 yards. And I was just... You know, sometimes you don't know what you're capable of, not sometimes, often, until you put yourself in that situation. And I was so turned on and excited to have another chance that it wasn't the end of my career as I'd felt after blowing those two kicks badly against uh, San Diego. And so that became sort of a pattern of I maybe wasn't ready yet, but I'm getting better and get ready for the next one. And that was the pattern for two years. A perfect lesson in life on how to become a power player. The powers within, all we have to do is figure out a way to get it out. You know, this concept of you got to think outside the lines, you got to think outside the box. What if the answers are still in the box and you're proving it true time and time again? So now with the Patriots, did they say we sign you now? You went 17 for 17 up to 53? No, the, the, there's a Monday night game where, ironically, the, the kickoff man for the Patriots, because John Smith was injured, was Gerald Wilson. It was a punter, but um, it was a Monday night game. It was Washington. Uh, what was his first name? Punt returner and kickoff returner. And uh, the end of the game, when the Patriots had scored with a minute left, uh, Gerald Wilson had to kick off because Smith was injured. He kicks a line drive, and Washington returns it 95 yards for a <laughs> touchdown. And, and so the next day, they bring me in, and they say, we don't know what we're going to do uh, with you because, you know, we don't know about a kicker. And... I said, well, you need somebody to kick off. And I found myself 20 minutes later signing a, a contract. By the way, $32,000. That was my, that was my no bonus, just 32000 bucks. But for it. me, it was awesome. And 1980? 1978. 78. Oh, yeah. And my salary with the Chiefs two years later was 30000 Plus, uh, uh, I made a couple make team bonuses. So, But uh, that's the way it was. Tom Condon, my buddy, uh, teammate, he told me when he started – Five years earlier, his salary was 18000 so things have changed. My buddy, songwriter, extraordinaire, Grammy Award-winning Mike Reed, played for the Cincinnati Bengals. Yes, pianist. Out of, yeah, out of Penn State. He was the number one player picked in first round, and his salary was, um, I think he got $75,000, yeah. I might have things changed. Yeah. But, you know, back then it wasn't about the money. No. It was to make it. It was a bucket list thing. And, of course, then you don't want to just make it. You want to be good. And that was a process. Uh, and it's a never-ending process. In the end, you realize it's a never-ending process. You always can get better. You always work to get better. And that's the only way you can stay ahead of the game. So when you left the Patriots, did you go to the Chiefs, and that's where you ended your career? No, I, I, tried out, you I tried out with Tampa Bay. I showed up at, at Philadelphia, and they, they kicked me out. <laughs> they wouldn't even see me. Uh, went back to the Jets, went to New Orleans and the Redskins for two games. I actually uh, played two games for the Redskins because Mark Mosley's thigh was also injured, and that's my hometown. And I kicked a field goal, missed an extra point. I'm learning to get under the ball, and I never missed an extra point in college. So next week I kick a field goal, missed an extra point, and um, – I remember two Redskins fans standing on the dugout because that was RFK Stadium. And this is the, the revenge. I don't mean really revenge, but it's sort of the karma. Um, they're standing there 
And as they go under, they go, Lowry, with smiles on their faces, you suck! <laughs> I'm like, thank you so much. Three years later, we're playing the Redskins. Um, four years later, 1993, the Super Bowl champion Redskins in RFK Stadium. My mom and dad are there. My twin sister's flown in from New Zealand, so she's sort of freaked out watching her brother. I kicked uh, the longest field goal in the history of the NFL still in the first quarter, 58-yarder. It was just this far inside, 59, damn it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and kicked four field goals in the first half. We're up 12-0 against the Super Bowl champions. Bill Kenny, our, our quarterback, had thrown for 300 yards. And then a guy named John Riggins ran for 130 yards in the second half, and we lost 31-12. to 12. So my parents were happy because the Redskins, our team growing up, won, and I had a good – Good game. And that was the longest field goal in the history of RFK Stadium because they now play in another stadium. So that was uh, retribution in some ways, or maybe it's just simply confirmation that if you stick with it, um, whatever the wounds of the past can be painted over very nicely. So as you're sitting there thinking, can I do this too? What happens if I quit before my time comes? And you were a seven-time all-pro kicker, three-time pro bowler, What's the message of never giving up? What kept you going no matter what? Because as you continually pursue your dream, you went from team to team to team. Eventually, someone's going to say, you know, when your horse dies, dismount. Shoot it. You know? <laughs> and you just kept climbing on and saying, wait a minute, I'm going to get a, a different horse. I'm going to yeah. ride a new one. And you kept doing it yeah. until the, the chiefs said, did they, did they negotiate? Did they invite you? Or did you have this to knock on their door as well? Story. This is a great story. Because at the end of two years, I've been cut by eight teams 11 times, including the Jets and Walt Michaels, who's still there. And ironically, Lou Michaels, a kicker, was his brother. And they fly me in because their kicker was not doing well. And um, I outkicked the other three kickers badly. I mean, I was so much better. And Walt Michaels brings me in and said, you know, we had you a year and a half ago, so we already know what you can do, so we're not going to keep you. And I'm not sure if anybody knows who the kicker was they signed, but he never played after that season. And so that was like the end to me. And I got a job working for the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee for Senator Bob Packwood. I was working on aviation deregulation and aviation safety. And that was it. I was moving on. And I get a call from Jim Schaff. I, I'd been sent... Uh, contract offers from Cleveland and Baltimore, back then the Colts. And um, no, there's no money. I, I'm just like, I got to move on. Got And this is a great job. I mean, there are only attorneys besides me on that, besides the secretaries. And a guy named Jim Schaff, I'd never heard his name before, calls up during the wild card games on a Saturday. I'm sitting, I'm lying on my parents' bed and I go into the bathroom to take the call and uh, he said, Jim, I'm sorry, I just had back surgery, but Marv Levy, our coach, was with the Redskins, special teams coach. He appreciates kickers. We think you, you might have what it takes. And I said, thanks, but no thanks, and I hung up. <laughs> and so this is another really important lesson for me, which was, what if? If you go through your life going, what if? What if I hadn't, or what if I did? And how that pathway in your life can be completely different. If I had not called him back, didn't have his phone number, didn't know how to spell his name. I would have gone to probably Georgetown Law School and you know, worked in the Senate and who knows what else. But I'm, I called a mentor, and I think that's a really important thing to have. And Dick Johnson, who'd been my coach for a long time, said, you'll always wonder. And I'm like, how do I find this guy? So I call uh, Kansas City Information. I guess it's James Schaff, S-C-H-A-A-F. Don't, don't know how I spelled it right. There were two James Schaffs. I called the first one who wasn't there. Second one I said... 
Oh, he's not. Where would he be if um, he had back surgery? And there was no internet in 1980. <laughs> and uh, the woman goes, I can't do, well, wait a minute, try this number, call there. Nope. I said, well, where would he be if he had back surgery? And one hour after, a stranger called me up. I mean, this is the lifeline of your destiny, right? By a thread. And uh, I found Jim Schaff in his bed at Research Hospital. He's just had back surgery. Totally blew him away that I could find him. We talked for an hour. Uh, they flew me in the next week and to snowy Kansas City. They offered me $2,500, which today is a joke. Just for a game for the season. <laughs> uh, and, a, and a salary of 30000 bucks. And um, they also said they'd bring me in in May, not just for training camp, which I really like because I think that helps you get more comfortable and less intimidated. And um, I signed with them, and I end up beating out the greatest kicker in the history of the game, feeling like I paid my dues and I was ready, which I was not ready two years earlier. So the amount of personal change, my friend Abby over here, she knows uh, this is what it's about is – She's going to be a pilot in two years doing great. And that, I, that's the way I feel about it in general is you can put yourself through, if you're willing to put yourself in that uncomfortable place of growth, how much better you can be and how much more happy and satisfying your life is because you're doing what you were supposed to do. And, and I think that gratitude is really what led me to then listen to those other better angels say, do something with this, you know, help other people. Absolutely. So if you're sitting there listening to this podcast wondering if your glass is half empty or half full, it's refillable. Thinking positive or thinking negative doesn't fill up the glass. The pouring does. It's easier to act your way into positive thinking than it is to think your way into positive action. Beautiful. Take take the action and then you'll feel good after. Everybody thinks you have to feel good before you can act good. That's wrong and you prove that even after retirement. I've never heard it put that way. That's beautiful. So <clears throat> I'm at an NFL Monday night football game in Kansas City Chiefs Arrowhead Stadium cheering on my Oakland Raiders. And it was the season that Joe Montana and, and Marcus Allen were traded to the Chiefs. And I'm sitting there on my hands so I don't get stabbed in the, in, the, in the really good seats in the stadium as a Raiders fan. And Joe Montana, bless his heart, threw perfect passes and they were dropped by these apparent ninth round draft picks or something because they couldn't catch a cold little on a football. And yet in that game, the Chiefs still figured out a way to beat my Raiders. Tell me how they did that. Somebody kicked five field goals. <laughs> five field goals. Huey Lewis was next to me against the kicking net on the sidelines, who is, you know, Huey Lewis, the singer. And, and that's what made it surreal is with Joe Montana on your team, it is like a rock concert. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's supposed to be Joe Montana against John Elway, I mean, two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And um, I'm running on the field, and I after I kicked a 52-yarder and a 45-yarder, I think I had four field goals in the first half, Huey Lewis looks at me and goes, this is easy for you, isn't it? And it was just so cool. The next day, uh, USA Today had a, had a um, headline, kicker upstages Montana. Lowry kicks five field goals, and I showed it to Joe Montana the next day, and he's like, well, he said something that I can't repeat. <laughs> he wasn't very happy. But here's the other cool thing I haven't told you yet, is I had worked that offseason – for President Clinton in the White House, Office of National Service, launching AmeriCorps, which was, uh, speaking of Kennedy, 
uh, and uh, the Peace Corps. AmeriCorps was Clinton's, uh, who also met JFK. There's a famous photo of them in the Oval Office. And AmeriCorps was the idea to create another way to serve your country, not just in the military, but everybody can serve and make a difference. So the White House Rose Garden ceremony to sign that was the next day. And I had uh, gotten Senator Dole, who was the Republican majority leader who had opposed Clinton's budget reconciliation, basically said, Mr. Clinton, you are going to have to come through me. And I had campaigned for Dole. I had worked for his wife when she was Secretary of Transportation in 83. And um, he's Kansas, Kansas City. And I uh, met with him with Eli Siegel, the head of the Office of National Service, and just said, you don't have to um, uh, support this, but just don't oppose it, don't get in the way. And AmeriCorps before became the first major legislation, or at least important legislation, of the Clinton administration. So here's this red, you know, rose garden ceremony. I couldn't be there, and I was sad because it meant so much to me. And I get a letter uh, three days later from the White House, personally written from Bill Clinton, and he says, um, "Sorry, it's such a beautiful thing. That's why I feel so lucky in my life." He goes, a "White House stationery." Nick, uh, great game Monday night. All your national service pals are proud. I thought of you yesterday when I signed the bill. Uh, the kids of this country will be better for it, and so will the rest of us, Bill Clinton. So, yeah. so that was a game that was just an incredible, beautiful gift for me. And uh, Joe and I learned to get along after that. But uh, I love it. It was like having having him. And was I've, awesome. I've personally spoken for AmeriCorps a few times. Are you really down in Arizona twice. We'll have to talk about that off the air too. That's crazy. And by the way, for you, Such a you fan. all that don't know about AmeriCorps, it's just two years. You're paid about forty six hundred bucks to uh, really dedicate yourself to helping a poor neighborhood, uh, develop relationships, sometimes with drug dealers, uh, whatever it takes to say, we're here to make your community better, work with us, just kind of like what I said to Senator Dole, don't oppose us, just don't oppose us, and uh, let us help. And um, it's a way to in, just develop and encourage this heartbeat of the best in America. All these negative stories across the country about how we're divided. We're not divided about service. We're not divided about contributing. We all know that's the better part of our lives. And so I'm here, you're here, Abby, you're here. We're all here to help make sure that we keep this country together with the values it always had, which is serving a bigger purpose than just ourselves. And that's, we'll stay with you the rest of your life. Absolutely. So one more question that everybody wants to know the answer to, especially me, um, before we move on to your philanthropy and what you've done since while you were still a player and what you've been doing since you've retired. So under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your level of training, which means pressure is not something that's naturally there. It's created when you question your own ability. And when you know what you've been trained to do, there's never any pressure. That's why we train and practice so hard. So in life, there's no mistakes, only lessons. And I want to know, and so does everybody else, how in the world, with your body, with your mind, with your athleticism, how in the world would you choose, how in the world would anybody with the right mind choose the most pressure-packed job on the planet? Nick, uh, we're behind by two points. We need this. And if you miss, uh, you're fired. If you miss in Kansas City, somebody might burn your house down if you miss how you're do you hung in effigy 
Yeah, exactly. How do you quiet your mind? How do you go to that confident place, come clean, yeah. when they say, kick, go? Yes. Talk to us about the two angels, the devil on one side saying, yeah. you lousy bum. I remember yeah. when you missed this kicker, you know, and, and nobody yep. would date you for 17 weeks. And then the angel says, oh, Nick, you're all that in a bag of chips. We love you. You've never missed anything. Talk to us about this well, continuous you have to, battle in your mind you, and in your ego. Number one is you've got to expect it's going to come down to you. I would also say that at least for those 1.25 seconds, it is the most pressure-packed position in any sport in the world. It really is. And I'm running on the field. I remember moments I was telling you earlier where a horse is going, I am scared. <laughs> you know what? I, what am, I hate this job. This is horrible. It's so much pressure. My God. And then the other part of you says, wait a minute. I've spent thousands, not hundreds, thousands of hours. I'm visualizing every week the situation, the team, how it smells, how it feels, the temperature, the wind, whatever it is, the opponents, everything. So I'm an actor saying I'm ready and make that situation so real. And I was a drama major my first two years in college and then switched to government, but I kept doing that. And that really, I think, maybe helped because I would portray the situation a thousand times in practice, mentally and physically, and physically, even with the weightlifting and the stretching, literally, as I did the weightlifting and the stretching, you'd think, how does that translate to the kicking? But automatically, I could kinesthetically, which is kinesthetics, how it feels to you, the linkage between your physical senses and your brain, I would feel that, that that was the moment in the game itself. So when I came to the game and I'm running on there, I could overcome and transcend that big voice saying, I'm scared of and just focus on the training and trust it and attack it. So I want to leave with you or share with you a phrase I developed towards the end of my career, which was, as I'm approaching the ball, right, it's two and a half steps, my left foot just is the plant foot, I would go left foot ex and explode. Now, I'm not sure what it is for you or for you, Dan, but left foot was align, your, align yourself, point right at the target. So your target's your purpose, align yourself right now, that left foot is your daily discipline, whatever that is, your craft, loving the work, loving the craftsmanship, and then explode for me was my message, relax, just let it go, trust God, trust your skills, trust your gift, because it's when you're self-conscious, research shows that the large muscle groups, the ones that aren't deft, the ones that would prevent Steph Curry from shooting three-pointers from 40 feet like it's nothing, those take over. But if you attack it, I don't mean crush it, but just attack it with confidence. Your natural synapses in your brain, which work 100,000 times faster than your conscious brain, take over. And as good as I was before I turned 34, and they're saying, the cover of Kansas City Star Magazine said, Nick Lowry is one of the greatest kickers in NFL history, but at 34, is time running out. Well, I was 77% at that point. I kicked 87% after that. So I'm really proud. I think that all the wisdom, all that game experience, which you can then use in your life too, um, made me better. I'm very proud of that. And, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of regrets because it so you ended didn't up the way it should be. You didn't be. retire. You refired. Let's shift gears. Talk to us about your foundation. Talk to us about what matters most to you, that you obviously started a foundation while you were still an active player in Kansas City and really focused on youth issues. I know so much about that. I'm so proud to be a friend. Thank you, brother. But let's talk about how you escalated that and just took it to the highest level possible. 
as uh, as we wind down our, our our discussion, I really want people to know the heart and soul of Nick Lauer because you can look up the statistics in the cute little picture of you in number eight with, with my porn star with, mustache with the fan, you know, with the spandex. So let's just go to what really matters most, and that's what lasts the longest. You know, I was talking about cerebral palsy and my Aunt Margaret, who's here and honoring her, and I'll never forget having her on. I would host the, the uh, telethon for UCP in Kansas City, and I'll never forget we had her in there. I had my holding my dad's hand on my left hand and her on my right, wondering if she's going to panic a little bit because of her speaking challenges, and she was like Walter Cronkite on there. And just so those are the references you get when you align your purpose, you align your lives, and you align your, your gifts, you become a huge television station, just like CBS right here, broadcasting and attracting the right energies. Your intuition grows. You get better at it and better at it. And I have so many references to that. So UCP helped. We won the uh, United uh, Cerebral Palsy National Award, started a program for inner city youth. And each one of these, AmeriCorps, the Points of Life Foundation, working for H.W. Bush, they just help give more references to how much it really is what matters to you. Starting Native Vision in 1996, which was on Oprah two years later, uh, out of the blue, my best friend from college, Steve Bova, his wife, Allison Barlow, on their wedding night, I was best man, said, would you start a football camp for Native Americans? And I didn't really hadn't thought a lot about Native Americans, even though I played for the Chiefs and went to Dartmouth, which originally was a school for Native Americans, the Eliezer Wheelock School for America, uh, Native Americans. And I started to work with them, and once again, the same thing is just Native American kids are like any kid. They need love. They need structure. They need encouragement. They need consistency. They need to have someone look them in the eye and say, you're just as great as I am. It's going to happen for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, each one of those programs helped me affirm what's, what matters the most. So now I work, the most important program for me right now is called Champions for the Homeless. But in a way, you think Native Americans, maybe you're homeless, having had their ancestral lands taken away. Obviously, the Ute tribe, um, you know, the Comanche. tribe in the country. Uh, you know, the Sioux, uh, you name it. So we've done leadership programs. I went back to Harvard, got my master's, and developed a fellowship called Nation Building for Native Youth. We've done that for 20 years. Oh, wow. And, um, and I believe that change is hard to see, but it's not, not hard to feel. And I feel that Native American kids today, this new generation, the kids that were 17 when we started Native Vision that are now 43 with two, three, four kids, they're confident at a level. They have skill sets. They have leadership abilities. And so that translates. I've done anti-bullying programs where I was told there were two kids out of a school of 2,000 that were fighting. They were leaders in the school. No one t- told me who they were. And I did this example because this is about the gifts of the spirit um, and your intuition, which is way, speaking of that, way beyond conscious. So I picked out two people. The first person represents the snapper in the offensive line. So that's what I say is the field goal, you're the kicker, the offensive lines, your family, your community, what you grew up with that you really didn't choose is what you grew up and hopefully it was good and sometimes it wasn't. And then the holder who represents who you as an adult, as you as a mature person choose to surround yourself with, which is the greatest ability you can ever have, surrounding yourself with good people in your personal private life to reinforce those values. And, and then the kicker is you. You know, what are you going to do with your moments of truth? What are you going to do to align yourself with something that really matters with your gifts? So afterwards, 
the, the principal and the superintendent of all the schools, this was in Lake Geneva, Illinois, run up to me. And they run up to me. They go, how do you do that? I said, what? They said, how do you do that? I said, what? They said, you picked the two people. And they were sitting 100 feet apart. The two people that we know were creating this issue because they were so well-respected as athletes, but they were attacking each other on social media. Um, you picked them. And I think those insights are so beautiful because as athletes, and you're not this way, but let's just say there's a narcissistic culture uh, where we begin to think it's all about us. People keep patting us on the back, you know, and, and there's criticism, don't get me wrong, also. But um, it's, it's just to find those antidotes where you get past your ego, which was helpful developing your character and your, your identity. But then as you get older, hopefully it's always a choice between ego and spirit. What builds my spirit to be stronger, to help others, and also to love myself in the midst of all the adversity that all of us have, have gone through the last three years? Absolutely. So let's focus in on your, on, your, your focus, on your focus on the homeless. What you said to me yesterday just really touched my heart. You saw me tear up as quickly as you said it, that your, your mission, your purpose statement is to make sure everyone looks at homeless people as people, yes. not as the homeless. Yes. Talk to us about that and tell us a little bit about your foundation, your cause, and how many events you have a year. Well, we have five or six events a year at St. Vincent de Paul's in downtown Phoenix. And I started it, um, I'm not even sure why, I think maybe because I'd played 14 years in Kansas City and then suddenly had to go to the Jets, that sense of losing my home. Maybe it made me sensitive to it, but historically, one of the great, if not the greatest, unfinished chapter in American history is with Native Americans. I mean, do you know that Abraham Lincoln, arguably our greatest president, whose whole war against the South was based on, you know, slavery and that all men are created equal, sent battle-hardened Civil War troops to wipe out the Plains Indi Indians before the end of the Civil War. So there are always contradictions in history. And it just felt right to say, hey, we want you to know that pro athletes and Olympic gold medalists will come out for three days every damn year. Sorry, but I had to say it because I wanted emphasis on it. Every year, paid nothing but to just let you know that we love you. And for the, for the homeless, it is that same sense that if you look them in the eye, as, as we do with 1,000 homeless, we give them 1,000 flowers, 1,000 gift certificates to Starbucks and McDonald's as an opener to create a conversation. All our volunteers, we grew from 20 volunteers to 500 on Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, and in the summer twice because it's so hot in Phoenix. And I tell the volunteers beforehand for about 15 minutes, I just say, we're all so used to doing something, to handing something. You know, you're handing coffee, you're handing food, you're handing clothing, you're handing flowers, ice, whatever. The, none of that matters. What matters is that you look every person in the eye today of our homeless brothers and sisters and let them know we love you. You are just as important as us. And you see these months and years of abuse and these sh uh, shells of protection melt away almost instantly. And so we have put a human face on the homeless in Phoenix. We made Phoenix the first city to provide um, COVID testing, free COVID testing for the homeless uh, in April of 2020. And uh, we just keep going. It We keep doing it. I talk about the 20 years, speaking of two years, the 20-year commitment. If you find something, and, and the service is a big thing with the 
the Mormon community here in, in Utah. It's such a beautiful thing to say, I found something I love so much that I will do it the rest of my life. <sighs> because you will see, you won't think, you will know you've made a difference. And that's as good as it gets. It's nothing better. Absolutely. So regardless of what opinion you might have had about professional athletes, especially the NFL folks, as maybe being dumb jocks or some being this or some being that, you just completely dispelled all rumors. Guest Nick Lowry. Thank you, brother. Uh, beautiful soul who happened to play football. Beautiful human being who happened to be a professional athlete. How can we um, find you? How can we support you? How can we join your tribe? How can we Thank be you. part of your philanthropy, especially now that I spend part of the year in Phoenix, Arizona? Obviously, I'm all in. Well, but teach us awesome. how we can follow you and keep in touch. Well, uh, nicklowry.com or nicklowry.org, N-I-C-K-L-O-W-E-R-Y. So think of flowery without the F. I don't know how else to describe it because people misspell it. But um, And if you go there, you'll see some videos. What's great is the media now tell the stories of the homeless in terms of real people. Um, I was saying uh, Christmas, we had three stories of homeless men, uh, two African-American, one Hispanic, articulate, thoughtful clear-headed, uh, and I would say that if you and I were homeless for six months, we'd have what I call situational mental illness too. So there's this stereotype because we want, we're, there's a lot of fear and emotion and, and you know, reticence to want to find out what's their story because look at them, uh, who are they, and realizing that for the most part, there is a human being in there that has a story that you might actually understand. Now, some have serious drug issues, some have serious mental health issues, but what a lesson in general to look deeper and to realize you can help that person feel hope, feel like a human being again. What, what's the value of that? And so I look at San Francisco. I'm sorry, I'm going to just call a spade a spade. San Francisco and L.A. and these horrendous homeless problems there. And I challenge them to stop saying it's a homeless problem and look at the homeless there as human beings and tell their individual stories. It's hard with the, the money in, in television news now. Nobody wants to take the time. But that will transform that issue. It won't go away, but it will be reduced, and you will have people understand each other and when you understand each other as human beings, you treat each other very differently. Here you have it, Nick Lowry. Let me capsulize. I love quotes. <clears throat> Jay Stone obviously was thinking of Nick Lowry when these words were coined. The most visible creators I know are those artists whose medium is life itself, the ones who express the inexpressible without brush, hammer, clay, or guitar. Their medium is being. They neither paint nor sculpt their medium as being. Whatever their presence touches has increased life. They see, and they don't have to draw. They are the artists of being fully alive. You're a good man. Poster child for a service before self. Love you, Nick Lowry. Check him out. Follow his tribe. And uh, go Raiders. And by the way, I don't ah. mind crying because I'm <laughs> crying for the right reasons. Absolutely. Uh, may I put a ca caveat in? Thank you, brother. Um, KUTV News, number one station here in the Intermountain West. CEO uh, Kent Crawford, he would cringe if he knew I was putting this on the air. And, and my amazing world-class producer, Case, you cannot edit this out, 
when I say that this station has the heart of a Nick Lowry because oh. they are the ones that put the face on the homeless. They're the philanthropic awesome. station of all stations. If I can ever and come here and help, I would Absolutely. love it. I might even be able to get a few of my NFL friends to come because the problem is everywhere. Absolutely. And it transforms a community into realizing what's most important. Absolutely. Sinclair Broadcast Group, we love you. We honor everything about this opportunity of a lifetime. Nick Lowry, NFL superstar, seven-time All-Pro. Number eight in your program. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.